Hi, I'm Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle. Welcome back to our special three-part podcast on the coming of age of the exchange-traded fund market in the UK. In the past two episodes, we've talked about the nuts and bolts of exchange-traded funds and looked at how you might use them in your own portfolio. And now in our final episode, we're going to turn to some of the controversy surrounding ETFs and we'll talk myths and market debates. So joining me in the studio again are Adam Laird, Passive Investment Manager at Hargreaves Lansdowne, Ben Seager-Scott, Director of Investment Strategy at Tilney Best Invest, and Joe Parkin, Head of Wealth for iShares in the UK. Firstly, there's a lot of disagreement, as we've covered in the previous two episodes, around smart beta, this idea of ETFs weighted by anything other than market cap. Uh, We hear it called smart beta, sometimes factor investing. People have an issue with the name, but also with the confusion that it's created in the industry. I think, Ben, do you think there are too many products out there now? Uh, I don't think there's too many. I think smart beta, you mentioned the controversy of the term people call it strategic. I, I prefer um, alternative beta or advanced <laughs> beta. Uh, simply because I, I want to avoid this. If it's smart, then are, are all the rest of us and whatever else we do. But I think because it's, a, it's an innovative area and it's such a broad church, it covers a huge number of different strategies. Uh, I, I think it's only natural all of these different strategies, they'll launch, they'll be tested by the market. Um, I don't think there are necessarily too many. Uh, what I do think is, is there'll be a pruning process, as we've, we've seen with uh, traditional passives. A lot launch, some get a lot of attention, others it turns out there's not demand for. But I think that's sort of a, a natural process overall. Adam, what do you think? Do you think there are times when smart beta is stupid? I think that there's times when smart beta is not right for the investor. I don't like it when products get overly complex. It's difficult to work out what's going on because remember that a lot of these products were developed for institutions or professional investors uh, who have complex needs, but where it's difficult for that to, to apply for an individual's portfolio. There's also some products which have been criticised because they are built for marketing reasons. They are built on back-tested results rather than on their potential in the future. And I am very wary of that. And again, it's it's useful to, to find some proof of a strategy working, like uh, a track record. But overall, it's it's about finding the product that's right for you and for your portfolio. And that's a that's a very individual question. OK, and in fact, something you just touched on there, this idea of building products, you know, just as kind of marketing gimmicks or um, around things that have previously done well, but won't necessarily do well in the future. We had this US smart beta provider this year coming out and saying that smart beta as an industry amounts to a major bubble just due to the fact everyone's piling into these overhyped indices and I guess losing sense of investing on a method or an idea of what will do well in the future. Is this market a bit of a bubble? Time will tell really. Whenever you invest in these products you need to do it with a long-term horizon. These and any investment can go through several years when it underperforms or whenever its its performance disappoints. The best products which do use time-tested um, strategies and methods probably will come out well overall, but you need to be prefer- prepared for that period of underperformance uh, whenever you go into it. 
I, I wonder if either of you, Ben or Adam, have any, uh, you don't have to name any names, but any strategies which you do think are a bit gimmicky or which you just don't approve of? I, I can't really think of any. There are, there are some, I think, not necessarily gimmicky. What we have seen is a shift in, in smart beta from strategies such as value and quality, which are broad investment strategies and income. We're starting to see some more thematic uh, uh, ideas coming through, things like buybacks, and, and, and I'm sure there'll be others. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with buybacks. Thematic investing is popular with many investors. Uh, but I think when you start to get towards those areas, that's probably the fringe. And beyond that, you know, you might, you might start having ETFs or everything beginning with B. That's the point <laughs> where, where you've got a problem. What concerns me is when an ETF or the index is constructed in a way that it can really reduce the diversification in a market overall and it's all of a sudden it stops representing the 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 breadth of what it sets out to track in the first place maybe it it only invests in 20 companies or perhaps it the construction allows it to narrow in on on one specific industry and that's a case when you might have your objective met for a small time period but there's an additional risk that if that then falls out of favour you might be paying the price for a long time and that's what bothers me. And I think we have seen that haven't we with a few ETFs uh, launched recently where where they set out to do something admirable but then you realise as, as a symptom of doing that you end up with 70% in financial stocks for example. We have seen that, haven't we? There are some products that are out there and it, it's actually some of the products which were around and were available back in the financial crisis in 2008 to 2009 also suffered from that. Again, track record, have a look, look at the volatility, look at the risk in your investment. Okay, Ben, some argue that ETFs are increasingly fueling market volatility. And we talked in the last episode a bit about bond ETFs and the arguments there. Um, So the concept is that there is so much money, particularly from institutional investors, flowing in and out of ETFs. And they're so often used nowadays for short-term tactical trading that they're capable of causing quite big swings in the market. Do you think that's a fair assertion? To be brutal honest, no, no, I don't. I think ETFs are a very useful tool. As you say, that they've made it easier for institutions to trade. They've made it easier for retail investors to get involved. Uh, but volatility, largely m- most recent volatility, I think, has been driven by uh, low, lower levels of liquidity overall, some driven by regulatory changes. So market makers and authorised participants holding a, and brokers holding a bit less inventory uh, and overall lower levels across the board of, of of liquidity. I find this idea that having more marginal traders, hedge funds and uh, investment banks have been doing this for decades. I think, you know, it, it's nothing new. Uh, and hedge funds and investment banks have proved themselves more than capable of ruining markets and, and economies on their own. So I think having retail investors being able to access these and institutional investors being able to trade with less marginal cost, I, you know, I don't think ETFs are, are causing the volatility. To be honest, I just think it's sour grapes from hedge funds. <laughs> and Joe, what do you think? I assume you would agree with that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think there's, you know, we've, a fair amount of work's been done on this, both by industry participants as well as people that sit outside it. And there's no evidence that ETF growth has caused correlations to increase or impair price discovery. Uh, I think that, you know, ETFs often a second layer of liquidity that when markets do become stressed, they offer something where you can buy and sell in those markets. So, you know, I completely agree with the other two panellists. There is no evidence to suggest this. 
Okay, and I want to move on now to the issue of access. We can talk endlessly about all of these new types of ETF, but it's it's pointless if private investors from our perspective can't access them. So, Joe, what do you think? Are there enough of them on platforms like Hargreaves and Tony Best Invest, for example? Yeah, no, I certainly think they do. And actually, I think that um, um, the retail investor, um, you know, does have a lot of access to, to ETFs through certain platforms and that's where we see a huge amount of growth but I think we can still get better and you know particularly um, through the IFA market and through the uh, the IFA platform market you know we have particularly with some of the stuff that's gone on within regulation some of the government pension reforms as well as what's happening in digitalization um, and people wanting um, to interact digitally with their portfolios I think we've got a lot more to do to make ETS more available and we're starting to see the green shoots of this you know, come through. So I, I, I'm really optimistic, and and I think there's going to be you know a, a, a you know huge increase in retail investors gaining access to more and more ETFs and ETF portfolios. Okay, great. And I want to wrap up this special ETF themed series by looking to the future. So Ben, what are your biggest issues with the ETF market as it stands, and what do you think needs to change going forwards? Well, I think two two of the biggest issues that I see, one is fragmentation of the European market. This ad, we talked uh, a lot earlier and in previous episodes uh, about bid offer cost and, and the cost to access. One of the challenges we have in Europe is you may have one ETF that's domiciled just in one place, often uh, Dublin or, or in Luxembourg, but actually it's traded on lots of different exchanges. Uh, and by having that sort of fragmentation, that can overall tend to push up the cost involved in trading if you compare it to the US where there are a, a, many fewer exchanges, the additional cost for trading tend to be a little bit lower. And I know there's some work going on in the background. And certainly, I think that's going to be a positive development by reducing costs overall. And I think the other the other problem re- relates to uh, over-the-counter trading. I think one of the ironies, they're called exchange-traded funds, but actually uh, evidence just most, most trading is not actually done on exchange. It's done off exchange. And that's not always reported. So it's a lot harder to get full clarity on exactly how these are trading if you're, you know, not not in the system. Uh, and, and the only last point I'd make, I, I know repeating a point I made earlier, but personally, uh, I'd like to see securities lending and collateralisation policies tightened up. Not a fan. Okay. Um, and Adam, I guess same question, but maybe we should also say, where do you feel the most progress has been made? A bit of a more positive slant. Sure. The concerns I have really are about the complexity of products and availability of information for individuals. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with having more of these investments out there, but I think people need to be able to to to, to tell exactly what they're doing and and how this goes uh, through, and 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 have that information readily out there for people. I'll also say that there, we are making a lot of progress in in costs and in uh, the charges of investments. I think that there's a lot of low-cost ETFs that, that are out there. Many uh, options that are out there for costs under 0.1%, which is pretty low. Um, but there's other areas where costs haven't been as quick to fall. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more more fees dropping in, in emerging markets, maybe some of the riskier bond areas. 
and I will, I'll also say that there's I think there's some areas that are still a bit untouched by ETFs mixed asset investments which blend bonds and shares have been very popular in active managed space in the fund space and there's very few options in that that are available in the ETF market at the moment so I think we may see more of these coming in the future, one fund portfolios for investors, but we're not quite there yet. Okay, and Joe, where do you think the most progress has been made and where are we going to see innovation coming from next? I mean, I think a huge amount of progress has been made and, you know, we continue to focus to Ben's point on what we call market infrastructure. You know, it's trying to remove the fragmentation we see, trying to get trades reported on exchange in a very similar way to uh, what happens in the US. And we're incredibly focused on that. So that's market infrastructure. I think, you know, we expect a huge amount of growth from the ETF market over the next three to five years. Um, I think it's going to happen. It's going to be more institutional investors, bond clients, um, trading fixed income ETFs. And then the rest of the growth, I think, particularly in the UK and the rest of Europe, is going to come from, from, from retail investments. I mean, again, recent changes in regulation, the increasing importance of technology. Clients are now looking for easy to understand, low cost, transparent portfolios where investment returns can be easily explained, um, you know, in three minutes over a podcast. And so ETFs are the perfect solution for this type of investing. So I'm incredibly excited about developments going forward. And I think, um, you know, it's very positive for the ETF industry. Okay, thanks very much. That brings us to the end of our special three-part podcast celebrating 16 years of UK ETFs. Thanks to Adam, Ben and Joe, and thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.